The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying out a new perch here because I can't sit cross-legged anymore. And I'm giving it up reluctantly. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. Um, so... I've had this plan for a while to talk about tribalism and I keep putting it off and to be honest I'm going to put it off again (laughs) maybe next week next week because it turns out this is a very uh, can be a very agitating topic very agitating topic tribalism and I thought what I would do before I talked about that was talk about some skills for dealing with it first. So we could do it either direction. We could get everybody agitated and then talk about what to do about it. Or we could say, let's develop some tools before we get started into something crazy. This is, I'm, I'm playing with the microphone here. I keep knocking it loose, but we'll see if it was just that. Okay, so... Tonight what I'm going to talk about is how to deal with uh, uncomfortable things that arise in meditation and mindfulness in everyday life. And I'm going to, the, the tools I'm essentially going to talk about are the, the five faculties, but having said that, I'm not going to go there and list the five faculties. I'm just going to say there, there are techniques that we develop that help us in our spiritual path. This is not going to stay on my ear. <laughs> Sorry. Can we pause for just a moment? Happening. It's not about what the story is. Or we can abandon it completely, just abandon it. Which sounds a lot like the, the Buddhist plan that we should let go of all the things that we're holding on to. Or we could say that we're suppressing it, which is actually holding on to it quite tri- tightly. So the question is, how do we decide when we should pay attention to something that's coming up and when we shouldn't pay attention to it, when it's not necessary to pay attention to it? What do you have to notice? What can you ignore? And what do you have to do with what you notice? What do you notice? What can you ignore? What can you not ignore? And what do you do about it? And when I say what do you do about it, I don't mean what do you do in this moment about this particular feeling that has arisen or this, this anxiety that has arisen, but is that, does it keep coming up because there is something that needs attention, something else that needs attention. So, so we, the, the primary tool that we have for this is what we notice. What do you notice? Where do you put your attention? What do you notice? So when we're sitting in meditation and we're following our breath, we're noticing our breath. And something arises, and we say, uh, let's say an itch. An itch arises, and we say, oh, itch, 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 and you go back. Still itching, still itching, go back. Itching, 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 and we get more and more agitated. And we notice the agitation, and we're saying, well, this isn't getting me anywhere. I'm just getting more and more agitated. So I'm going to scratch the itch. 
and then we mindfully pay attention to what we're doing. We don't mindlessly scratch the itch, but we're lifting the hand and noticing how we're intentionally doing that. And the, the secret word here is intention. Intention. Practice is learning what to pay attention to and how to pay attention to it. So now I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, is anybody in here aware of the Ajahn Cha banana story? Oh, good. It's a great little story. Okay, so Ajahn Chah is a, uh, was a Thai master, meditation master, Buddhist teacher. He was uh, Jack Cornfield's, one of Jack Cornfield's teachers. And he tells a story about someone who was coming back from the market carrying a banana. And someone said to him, why are you carrying that banana? And he said, because I want to eat it. And they said, well, so are you going to eat the peel? And he said, of course not. No. Then why are you carrying the peel? Now, other than the kind of smart-alecky answer that immediately comes to mind, what Ajahn Chah said is there are actually two layers to answering this question. And the first one is the intention. What is the intention for answering the question? What is the intention for carrying the peel and the banana? And secondly, what is the answer to the question? So the first, the first intention the desire is to actually give a, a good answer to the question. I want to give a good answer to the question. Why am I carrying this peel? And the answer that he gave to the person as, asking the question was, because time hasn't come to let go of the peel. I love this story. I love the story because he didn't say, oh, well, we let go of everything eventually. He didn't defend carrying the peel. He didn't make a separate case for the peel. What he said is, it isn't time to let go of the peel. If he let go of the peel, he'd be carrying mush, which was not consistent with being able to eat his banana. Right? So the question is, what do we hold on to? And when do we let go of it? You know, the, the, the kind of Buddhist uh, mantra is let go, let go. In fact, Ajahn Chah is famous for saying, if you let go a little, you experience a little freedom. If you let go a lot, you experience a lot of freedom. If you ex- let go of everything, you have total freedom. And here he is saying, only let go when it's the time to let go. When is it appropriate to hold on to something? When is it appropriate to actually pay attention to what arises and not let go of it? And say, why is this showing up? Why is this continually just showing up? What is my intention with regard to that? And how should I be paying attention to it? One of the important things about this story is that we don't actually have to let go of everything right away immediately, let go of everything. It may sound like a great idea, but we can let go in stages, and we can only let go of that which we no longer need. 
we let go of what it's appropriate to let go of. So let's, let's explore that a little bit. When, when uh, the Buddha was teaching his son, he said, you know, there, there are things that you need to understand about the world. And what you have to do is notice when suffering arises. Notice when suffering arises. And notice when suffering stops. This causes suffering. This doesn't cause suffering. And so you ask yourself, before something happens, does this cause suffering for me, for you, for either of us, or both of us? Then I won't do it. If this does not cause suffering, then I can cultivate it. And you ask yourself this before an action and during an action and after an action. It's a lot of work, actually, if you think about it. It is notice what you notice and also notice, is there suffering here? Is there not suffering here? It doesn't have anything to do with telling the story about the suffering just noticing it, noticing the suffering. This causes suffering. I don't want to do this. I reestablish a new intention. I no longer want to do this. This causes suffering. This causes suffering for me. This causes suffering for you. This causes suffering for both of us. I resolve not to do this. An important part of this is that you don't just do it once and say, okay, this, oh, this caused suffering. This will always cause suffering. I'm never going to do this again. And then it happens again. And the conditions are slightly different. And we don't look at it and say, is this causing suffering? We just say, oh, yeah, I know what that is. And we don't look at it again. And we don't pay attention to it. And we miss what's actually happening. And we don't see it clearly. And we just say, well, I'm not going to pay attention to that. I already know what that is. I don't need to worry about that. And the agitation returns. And the agitation returns. The agitation returns. What we need to do is persist in our effort. Continue noticing. Continue noticing. We have to keep noticing. It's not like we get someplace and we've arrived. Our mind habits continue to show up all the time, just in different form. Just in a different form. The conditions are never the same. I can't say, when this happens, this is always the right answer. There are many things that can come up in meditation that are distressful, that cause stress. There's anger, there's anxiety, painful memories, lots of painful memories, fear, suppressed memories. One of the things that turns up when, when you're looking at tribalism, as I've been doing lately, is that very often people have things happen to them in their lives and they say, okay, 
that's not going to happen to me again, and I'm not going to think about that anymore. And they file it away. And then many years later, so it's quite common these days for uh, a number of women, many women, remembering things as a consequence of the Me Too movement where things are becoming um, more verbal, that people who have not dealt with things or have filed things away, this is no longer important to me, have had memories come up that are extremely stressful. It's true of Black Lives Matters. It's true of any movement where people begin to see themselves and they haven't been looking there and the memories rise and these can be very powerful, overwhelming experiences of injustice, of fear and anxiety, of insecurity. And what do you do when those things arise? What happens? How do you deal with that? Do you just say, I'm not going to think about that, I push that away, I'm not going to look, I'm just going to go back to my breath? When this thing is up against you, when you're, when you're facing grief, and you're saying, why is this grief here? There are several things that you can do. The first one is to notice, is this persistent? Is it a random thought that comes in? Or is it something that keeps coming back? So maybe it's not the story, but something that the story causes to rise in you. And I'll talk about that more a little bit. But there, so you notice, is this, is this a recurring stress? Is this a recurring thing that's happening? Is, keep coming back? How, it, what happens if I try to shift my attention? Does it come back again? How, how persistent is it? What happens if I try to abandon it? Does it just come back in another form? How intense is it? How intense? Is it like the itch? Or does it cause you to, to gasp, mentally gasp, and you feel a closing in? So you notice, what, it, what is my physical reaction to what's happening? So it's not so much shifting my attention to, oh, anxiety causes me to chew on the side of my lip, but rather, what is the overall quality of how I'm noticing this? Is this feeling that I'm leaning away from it, that I'm leaning into it? How agitated am I? These are clues to, is this something I need to pay attention to? Is this something that needs reflection at some point? So what we're trying to do is just notice, how important is this? How important is this? And am I seeing it clearly? Am I seeing it clearly? Is it really anger or is it fear? Or is it embarrassment? You know, the, the first blush. It's a flush. There's a lot of energy here. I know what it is. Oh. And then we don't actually see it. It's a lot easier to deal with embarrassment than fear. For me. Maybe not for everyone. But the way I deal with it is quite different. So it's important for me to see the difference. 
to know whether it has to do with my existential self or does it have to do with an inconvenience? I can only know that if I'm seeing it clearly. So what is my intention with regard to these thoughts? What's my intention? Do I just want them to go away? (laughs) Just go away. That's one intention. That's a kind of pushing away intention. I just want to make them go away. I want them to stop hurting me. I want them to stop hurting me. I want to not feel this way. These are uh, classic aversion kinds of feelings. I'm pushing them away. I want them to go. Is there something I can find out by not pushing them away or letting them go too soon? Can I find out why they're causing me stress? This is not an analytical question. This is not, let me think this through. But rather, what else is here? What else is happening in this moment that I'm maybe not paying quite as much attention to? And this is a question of where are we directing our attention? You know, if you've got a story that has a lot of emotional content, it's really easy to start rewriting the story the way you'd like it to have been. Or retelling the story, which gets the energy level up, and it kind of feels good to get the energy level up if you're feeling kind of depressed about it. But this isn't useful. This is, this is just feeding something. It's not noticing, just noticing it. What we're trying to do is just see it. So can we discover when the stress is less? So, for example, I might be getting all agitated and there's something going on here and I'm not sure what it is, but I'm clearly agitated and maybe I'll stop and take a breath and let it out and then come back so that, that I settle. If I notice I'm agitated, I don't feed the agitation. I try to see, okay, 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 this is, this, is, this, is, this is a little, feels a little wild. I'm feeling a little, not like I'm in control. Take a breath. Okay, there's stress here. But after I've taken the breath, I can actually notice the stress and not be a victim of the stress. You see that distinction? So that it, it, it isn't a pushing it away so much as it is gathering yourself together so that you can look at it without being too overwhelmed by it. What we're looking for here is the development of wisdom, of discernment. I want to be able to see what's really happening here and what action is appropriate as a consequence of that. What action is appropriate? How can I decide this is to be cultivated or not cultivated if I can't see what's causing the suffering in the first place? We test and then we ask again. Okay, the stress seems to be less when I look at it this way. Okay, that's a good thing to know. And then, is it something I have to do something about? Is it something I have to do something about? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it requires me to adopt another way of seeing. 
oh, oh, another way of seeing. So I'm going to give you an example. So I want to caution you that this is an example. I used this example to try to explain something to my husband. And for weeks afterwards, he was asking me, are you sure you don't want to go to Monterey? So this is a story about going to Monterey, and it is a story. <laughs> but it is an example. So, so I say to my husband, I say, I really want to go to Monterey. And he says, really? Why? Why do you want to go to Monterey? Well, because I really want to go to Point Lobos. I want to go out and see the ocean. And, and, and you know how it carves into those sandy rocks on the edge of the beach. It's so gorgeous. I really want to see that. Oh, hey, we could just go out here to Pescadero, you know, Upper Bean Hollow Beach. Looks just like that. Let's just go over there. Okay. Except that I still want to go to Monterey. I still want to go to Monterey. Hmm. Why do I still want to go to Monterey? Well, okay, so I guess I was thinking we could go there and, you know, we could stay the night and, and uh, okay, if I'm really honest, it's because I'm feeling like we can't afford to go to Monterey and I just want to prove that we can afford to go to Monterey. Oh, it's about money. Oh, it's about money. So, okay, it's about money. Well, that's a different thing. It has nothing to do with the beach. Oh, wait a minute. It isn't really money. I mean, you can decide to spend money or not. It isn't really money. Oh, it's, it's security. I'm actually feeling insecure. I'm feeling unsafe. Oh, 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 that's different. I'm feeling unsafe. That's a useful thing to notice. Now, the way it showed up was, I want to go to Monterey. You know, I'm going to fix this uneasy feeling I have. Because, oh, I know what would make me feel better. I want to go to Monterey. And then as I'm really paying attention to what's going on, it becomes very clear that what's actually going on has pretty much nothing to do with Monterey. It has to do with feeling unsafe. Wow, where did that come from? Why am I not feeling safe? Maybe this shows up once. That's interesting. I'm going to have an eye out for that. Maybe it shows up several times. Hmm, something's going on here. Maybe this is something I need to pay attention to. I'm feeling unsafe. Hmm. It isn't that I have to go out and fix it. It's that I'm trying to see clearly what's going on. And if I just stopped with, I want to go to Monterey, and if you don't let me go to Monterey, I'm going to suffer, I would never have gotten in touch with, oh, this has something to do with security here. And maybe it has something to do with security because of something that happened to me long ago that's in the news. But I'm not looking at that. I'm going to Monterey. Now, if I let go of going to Monterey as, well, that's just silly. That's just me craving Monterey. I can let go of that craving. 
I'm throwing the banana peel away. Long before I'm ready to eat the banana. So what I'm encouraging you to do is to notice when things come up. Not necessarily do something about them, but begin to discern when something needs to be paid attention to and when it can be discarded. Why why is this coming up? What else is coming up with this? What is the feeling? And when you're paying close attention, you become very astute at noticing the difference between fear and anxiety. At noticing the difference between anger and fear. At noticing, okay, is this feeling, the way that I'm looking at this now, am I paying attention to this feeling? Is it tightness? Is it expansive? Am I leaning into it? Am I longing for something? that is just out of my reach, what does that feel like? You know, we've all had a craving for, I don't know, pick anything, a cookie. And you're sitting there thinking, I really want that cookie. I know just where it is. I can go get that cookie. It's in, the, it's in that counter. It's in that bag right underneath. The, I can get that cookie. I really want that cookie. And then we notice, we notice that longing. And then we ask, is this about the cookie? Is this really about the cookie? Or am I longing for something without knowing what it is? How often does this sense of wanting, of just longing for something, show up? How often does it show up? Do I need to pay attention to it? Okay, I can feel this longing. Where am am I feeling this longing in my body? What do I notice? Is there a feeling of, of stress or, or is it tender? Is there a tenderness associated with this longing? There's so much we can learn by just paying attention. Sometimes what we need to do is let go of pressure, go to the beach, and scream into the ocean. The pressure is away. Now we can see more clearly. Not so good to yell at another person. That usually causes suffering for you, for them, for everybody. One thing to ask yourself is what is connected to this? Is this longing about something now, like the cookie? Or is it something deeper than that? How subtle is this longing? How obvious is this longing or this grieving? How present is it? We might decide to notice whether ill will is associated with it. Is there resentment here? Is, are there revenge fantasies? Am I rewriting stories a lot?
Sometimes it's useful to remind ourselves that whatever self uh, uh, unsafe environment existed in the realm of the story, that right now here in this room, we are completely safe. Things could happen, you know. I can think of things that could happen, but they're pretty unlikely. I can feel safe in this room. If I can take a moment to feel safe in this room and notice what safety feels like, how does it feel in this moment to lower your shoulders? Can you lower your shoulders? That's what that feels like. I personally notice that I carry my shoulders up a lot. So that's a useful thing for me to notice when my shoulders are down. And it's such a delight to find I can't lower my shoulders anymore. I notice the delight. Ah, that's what it feels like. Because understanding how these things feel in your body gives you confidence that you can see things more clearly. Oh, I'm recognizing this feeling. I can feel that there's stress here and not react to the stress, but understand that there's stress here. Notice and be aware of it. Know that you're noticing it. Or one might focus on softening the heart. If I notice that ill will is present, because I have an intention not to hold ill will, I can try to soften my heart, which I can do by doing metta or sometimes just imagining myself opening up or lowering my shoulders. I can soften my heart enough to see more clearly when I'm not so guarded. When I find myself guarded, I know I'm not going to see clearly. Whether it's deliberate or unconscious, doesn't matter. If my heart is not open, I am not going to see clearly. I'm, I'm in a protected mode. I have barriers set up. It doesn't mean that those barriers are inappropriate, but I have to know that's what's happening. I have to see that. The goal for all of these efforts is to be free of suffering. It isn't because I want to understand everything and then life is going to be perfect and I will know the true meaning of life and the meaning of my life. No, it's because I don't want to suffer. Because I want to be free in this moment of suffering. And in order to do that, I have to see what is giving rise to suffering in those moments when that's present. And so these are just ways of trying to see clearly. Oh, that's what it is. Oh, I'm not being seen. I want to be seen. Oh, 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 oh. I'm wanting to be seen. That piece of information is so useful. Oh, this is me wanting to be seen. One of the, uh, so I have another story for you. This is Mike Guacamole's story. So I was on retreat one time, 
and I was supposed to be making guacamole. And I was given the ingredients. And my job was simply to put them all together, which I was rapidly doing. And it was really awful. It had way too much garlic. I mean, way too much garlic. And I like garlic. This was bad. So we started adding things to it to sort of dampen the garlic, right? So we added a ground cashews. That's, that's good. You know, things to, to sort of absorb some of that acrid taste. And we added and we added and... Uh, <laughs> and and we did. We managed to get the garlic down, and and it actually, if we imagined it to be, you know, an avocado sauce rather than guacamole, it was quite excellent. But as guacamole, it was a total failure. So we put it out, and we gave it a different label. <laughs> it was not guacamole. It was avocado sauce. Now, uh, because the meal happened to be, uh, you know, enchiladas or something, pr people pretty well figured out that it was supposed to be guacamole. But for those people who were not wed to the name, they, they enjoyed the sauce. And the same is true for us. Sometimes we label things with very convenient labels when they're no longer that. They are now something else. And so if you find yourself labeling something very familiar, train yourself to say, really? Really? Is that what it is? Is it really the cookie? Our goal here is to min minimize greed, hatred, and delusion, those things that cause suffering. But if we don't actually see it clearly, you know, we could be thinking that we're letting go of something very virtuously, and what we're really doing is pushing away what's actually true. So we have to be kind of careful about that. So what we can do is look at what are we passionate about? What are we really passionate about? What do we, what do we really, this is what holding on really is. You know, I'm, I'm really passionate about this idea. This is right or this is wrong. This is really right. This is me. This is the real me. Really? <laughs> Notice that passion. Because when you can see that you are calling avocado sauce guacamole, maybe you can see this is not something that needs changing. Or this is something that I can let go of. Because the passion for, for holding it by that name is no longer needed. And in lessening the passion, in the dispassion, we're not having to let go of it. It just kind of happens. <laughs> in the abs absence of passionate grabbing on to some idea or some track or some road... We don't have to let go. It just, the desire to hold it goes away. So it's important to see where there is passion in, in, the, in the suffering that we see, in the anxiety that we express, in the emotions, the conflictive emotions that we see. Where is the passion being held?
With mindfulness practice, what we hope to do is to develop the discernment to actually see what's happening. It's really, we notice, we notice, we notice. It isn't about fixing. It's about seeing as clearly as possible so that we're not lying to ourselves about what's really happening. If something is painful, it's painful. It's not useful to pretend that it's no longer painful if it's painful. But what's causing it? What else am I feeling that will help me see clearly what's happening? What else is in my physical reality now that will help me see this? We can dismiss something. We can shift our attention. We can abandon it altogether. All of these strategies are valid when something unpleasant arises. But it's also true that you can become quite wise at what you need to notice. What do I need to notice? What can I ignore? I can ignore that. That slight that happened to me today, I can ignore that. That person who cut me off and nearly ran into the back of my car, front of my car, the side of my car, I can let that go. I had somebody almost hit me a couple of days ago. And I saw the horror on her face as she pulled off to the side to keep from ramming into the back of my car. And I really felt sorry for her because she was really horrified. And I was thinking, okay, no harm. But she was really scared. If she'd hit me, I probably would have had a different reaction. But at that moment, there was something much more important on my mind. It was pretty minor, and I could dismiss it. Know when we can dismiss something. If we can't dismiss it, figure out what else is there. So had I not been able to do that, it might be because I was harboring a sense of everybody's out to get me. That was just one more example, right? And that I need to see because that's real suffering. That I need to see. Another thing you can ask yourself is what is the effect of knowing what is the source of your longing or the source of your resentment? What is the effect of knowing that? What happens if I know I'm feeling open longing, that there is, there is a missing, something missing in my life? Maybe I don't know what I'm longing for. I just notice the longing This happens. What's the effect of noticing that? Then I can look at what is this hole that I'm experiencing? What's the nature of this hole that I'm experiencing? 
Does it feel unsafe? Does it feel incomplete? What is that feeling? How big is it? Is it filling the room? Is it intense, like a black hole, something deep in the center? What can I notice about it? In that noticing, I might just lose some of that passion. I might, in the seeing, not be so attached to the intensity of the feeling, but more, oh, that's what it is. Wow. And I become more curious and more open to the possibility that there are things that I've not seen yet. And the tension goes out of it and the suffering goes away. And I find I can be with this whole and I begin to wonder, what is this? What is the nature of this thing? So, what we've been talking about is developing confidence of being mindful, of persistence, of settling in, allowing it to be true, the settling in part, and discernment. These are the five faculties. Conviction, faith, confidence, persistence or effort, uh, mindfulness, concentration, and discernment. These are the skills that help us along the path. So I encourage you to carry that complete banana. Don't carry it forever, it will rot. But don't throw the peel away too soon. Know why you're carrying it. Pay, pay attention to your intention. And when the time is right, lose the peel and eat the banana. When the time is right, you can say, Ah, I see that. Now, now I can just walk ahead. Now it is no longer controlling me. I can see it. Oh. Oh. So, I'm going to share with you a poem in the in the fruit theme, because it seems like it's appropriate. So this is a poem by Jane Hirschfield, and it's called uh, Ripeness. Ripeness. Ripeness is what falls away with ease. Not only the heavy apple, the pear, but also the dried brown strands of autumn iris from their core. To let your body love this world that gave itself to your care, in all of its ripeness, with ease, it will take itself from you. In equal ripeness and ease is also a harvest. And however sharply you are tested, this sorrow, that great love, it too will leave on that clean knife. Do it again here. So like the banana in the banana peel, this has to do with the time. Things fall away in their time. We don't have to make them happen. 
Ripeness is what falls away with ease. Not only the heavy apple, the pear, but also the dried brown strands of autumn iris from their core. To let your body love this world that gave itself to your care in all of its ripeness with ease and will take itself from you in equal ripeness and ease is also harvest. To let your body love this world that gave itself to your care is also harvest. And however sharply you are tested, this sorrow, that great love, it too will leave on that clean knife. Enjoy your ripeness. Enjoy your practice. And carry the banana. Thank you. So, does anyone have questions or comments or objections? I admit I don't actually like objections, but they're very useful. (laughs) Yes. Um, Thank you for that. That was, for me, um, very powerful and very relatable. Mm-hmm. Many points. Um, in the Monterey story, mm-hmm. um, when you had gotten to the point to say, oh, it's about money, and from money, it's about feeling safe. That, for me, felt very, um, I guess, kind of very logical. But the part that I had difficulty with was, how did you get from the point of thinking about Monterey to money? For me, that seems like a, a jump that is extremely useful, but it seems very difficult to get to that point. How did that happen? So, so what was, so the, uh, the mental story was, oh, we can't go to Monterey because we can't really afford the hotel. Our, it's beyond our budget requirements, and so uh, we can't afford it. So wanting to go to Monterey was trying to prove that we, we, we didn't have to worry about money. Oh, oh, it's about money. Oh, well, turns out it's not about money. So, so there's a, there's a, uh, there are conditions that have to do with what do you associate with certain things. So, you know, I mean, if you go down to Monterey for day trips, then money might not come up. And, and that's what was implicit in it. Never did I say, I want to go spend the night in Monterey. I said I wanted to go to the beach. But what was going on in the story was, oh, I can imagine going to Monterey and spending a night in a hotel by, you know, a Silomar or something, right? That's about money. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So I think I have um, I've exhausted what I have to say about this. What what I uh, I will be here next Thursday, and I'm I'm hoping to move to a difficult topic around around tribalism. How do we form groups, and how do we? What does it mean to form a group, and how do we? operate in that space and how do we feel in that space and what are the unconscious tribes that we belong to 
or you know if you don't belong to groups then you're a member of the group that doesn't belong to groups so this is what uh, I'd like to talk about next week so I wanted to give everybody a gearing up to be thinking clearly about what am I really reacting to <laughs> uh, before we talk about something that's quite reactive so thank you for your attention may you be well good night